The following audio is from Morningstar Baptist Church in Dayton, Ohio. For more information about Morningstar, visit morningstardayton.org. I said earlier that I'm leaving for Boston this weekend to pray for me, and what I really should have said is please pray for Mandy because she's going to be stuck with three boys by herself all week. And um, if you haven't met my boys, they're crazy. And so that she needs all the prayer that she can get. And we actually, we went on a float trip on this weekend and Daniel saved up a lot of his money and bought his own kayak. And he got to be alone in his kayak while the other four of us were in, I got a really long canoe. And so we're canoeing and kayaking down the little Miami. And you know how sometimes branches hang over the water like really low and you kind of got a duck to go underneath them. So all of us duck because that's what a normal human response is to the branches hanging over because there's bugs in those branches a lot of times. And if you don't duck and they brush against you, you get like spiders and caterpillars and all that kind of stuff. So most people duck. And so we're going through there and I'm in the back of the canoe and, and my whole family is ducking except for Mason. He's sitting up straight and tall and he's letting the branches just wash over him every time we go through him. I'm like, Mason, what are you doing? He says, I want the bugs on me. I want, I want there to be, a, I want a bug to land on me. And here's the deal. In Texas, we have like low-hanging branches and we go canoeing and stuff. And I've actually watched, we have snakes in the trees in Texas. And I've watched a snake fall out of a tree and into someone's canoe. Anybody ever see that before? A snake fall? All right. Funniest sight ever. So anyway, so as we're going... Part of me, I'm a bad dad, but part of me, secretly, I'm hoping that as Mason is, I'm hoping a snake falls right on him. I'm just like, oh, please, Lord, if, if I'm living right, please let a snake, I'm just going to teach this boy a lesson, man. But it didn't happen, and so I actually did what a good dad does, is we're all ducking. He's right in front of me. I'm pushing his head down as we're going on our branches. Anyway, that's the kind of stuff my wife's going to have to put up this week. So anyway, uh, be praying for my wife, and, but I mean, we're excited, and I'm glad that you're here this morning, and... And this week we're going to talk about this, this idea of what, what do we do after the gospel? I love that last song that we sang this morning about, let, let I, may I never lose the wonder of your mercy. Let that never get old to me because what I want to ask that question this morning is what do we do after the gospel? And it ties in a little bit what we talked about last week. But if you got your Bibles, go to John chapter 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we're in the Gospel of John, and we're going to be here, and we're going to flip over to Matthew here in a minute, but we're in John, John chapter 1. The background in John chapter 1, where we're going to be at, starting in verse 35, Matthew kind of gave us um, a, an account of this last week. We looked at how Jesus walked along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he started calling disciples. And John was actually there. Matthew wasn't there, but he was told through this, and, and the Holy Spirit led him as he wrote um, that passage. But John was part of this, and so I, I love but this passage we get here from John and what Jesus says here. In John chapter 1, look in verse 35. It says, Again the next day John was standing with two of his disciples when he saw, that's John the Baptist, by the way, when he saw Jesus passing by and he says, Look, the Lamb of God. And then two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. And when Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, What are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? In other words, we want to come out. We want to follow you. We want to go where you're going to go. And Jesus in verse 39, I love this. If you mark in your Bibles, underline, Jesus says, come and see. He replied, so they went and they saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day. And it was about 10 o'clock in the morning. Verse 40 says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John the Baptist and followed him. And he first found his brother Simon 
and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means the anointed one. And he brought Simon Peter to Jesus. And when Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means rock. Look at verse 43. It says, the next day, Jesus, he decided to leave for Galilee. And Jesus found Philip and told him the same thing we found last week, those two words. And we looked at that in depth, follow me, which means in the Greek, here behind me. Come follow me. Go where I go. Do what I do. And then it says in verse 44, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one that Moses wrote about in the law. And so did the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And Nathanael kind of responds sarcastically, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's kind of like saying, can anything good come out of Texas? Some of you guys might be wondering. But anyway, so that's what, but that's, I think it's great. But anyway, so, and here's what Philip says. He says, come and see. Philip answered him. So I just want to, I want to park there for a minute because in verse 43, first of all, Jesus calls, calls Peter and, 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 and his brother Andrew brings Peter. And then in verse 43, Jesus calls Philip and he says, follow me. In verse 45, we get Philip's response. So Philip, he found Jesus, or actually Jesus found Philip. He responds to the call of Jesus in his life to become a disciple. But what does he do after that? He goes and he finds Nathanael. He tells him, we found the one. We, we have found the Messiah. And what I love about this is Philip has no seminary training. He has never been to Bible college. He went to synagogue as a little boy and learned, remember, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But other than that, that's it. He didn't know all the deep theology that Jesus was teaching at he, it's the next day. <laughs> It's like the very next day. All he knows is he's following the Messiah. But I love what his, his only response is, is to go find someone else. We don't know what kind of music Philip liked. We don't know what kind of food he ate. We don't know what kind of clothing he wore. We didn't know if he was a fan of short hair or long hair. right? We don't know if he was a fan of, of, uh, of red carpet in the church building or blue carpet in the church building. We don't know any of that. You know why? Because none of that matters. What we do know is what, how Philip responded after the gospel. What matters is Philip's response to meeting the Messiah. And his response was this, go find one person. Check out verse 46. I want to read it again. He says, Nathaniel asked her, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip says, come and see. The exact phrase that Jesus was using is what Philip used. I love that. Here's, here's, what, here's what Philip knows more than after one day of following Jesus that you and I struggle with a lot. We struggle with sharing our faith or inviting people because we're like, what if they ask a question I don't know? What if they ask some deep theological thing? What if I don't have every verse in the Bible memorized? How am I going to answer them? What am I going to look like? You know what Philip knew one day after following Jesus? I'm just going to use the words of Jesus. Novel idea, right? Jesus was traveling around. He says, follow me. And then the other phrase Jesus would use was, come and see. Philip knew nothing. All he knew was what Jesus had already told him. And we just like, we let everything become a barrier to us sharing our faith. But Philip's like, I'm just going to say what Jesus said. Come check it out. Just come look at it. He didn't have to have all the answers or all the words lined out. Just use what Jesus had already given him. And here's the amazing thing. If you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know what you have? You have a story. The churchy word is testimony. You have a testimony. You have an amazing story, and here's your story. You were once dead, and now you're alive. 
You were once lost and on your way to hell, and now you're, you're saved and you're on the way to heaven. Once you had no purpose and no hope, and now you do. You have a story of what Jesus has done in your life. That's all we need. What has Jesus done? What did he do? He died on the cross. He died and took our place like Ben was talking about. He died our death. So someone stood in your place and someone stood in my place and died the death that we should have died. Took the punishment for us. And we have this amazing story. Many of us, here's what would have happened with our Nathaniel. The moment somebody gave a rebuttal or something hard, we would have been like, ah, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. And we would have been really frustrated. Here's what I would have done. I would have started debating Nathaniel on the merits of someone being born in Nazareth. How dare you put Nazareth down? What do you know about Nazareth? You can't judge Nazareth. You don't even know this guy yet. Like some of us feel like we got to debate him. Like, we got to argue with him. Philip just says, come and see. Just come check this out. I want you to come and see what Jesus did. But Philip goes and invites Nathaniel. But here's the cool thing. Philip could not, invite, could not invite Nathaniel to come and see until he had gone to where Philip was. Verse 44. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathaniel. Circle that word found. Here's the, in the Greek, that word is hurisko. Hurisko. You're like, I don't care. Here's the deal. Let me tell you. It's really cool. Because this word heurisco has one of two meanings. Found, heurisco means one of two meanings. One meaning is this, is to find the object you're searching for. That you go to find something and you find the thing you're looking for. That's one meaning. So if that's the case, if that's the word that, how John meant for it to be used, it means that Philip, after he found Jesus, after he started following Jesus, thought of Nathaniel and said, I'm going to go find Nathaniel. And then he, Eurisco, he found him. All right? So that's one meaning. The other meaning for Eurisco means that to, to come about or to happen to come upon something, to by chance find something. So you find something you're not really looking for. Does that make sense? And so if that was the case, here, if that's how that John meant this word to be used, it would mean Philip responded to the gospel Philip became a disciple of Jesus Christ, and when he was walking through his hometown, the first person he came upon was Nathaniel, and so he told Nathaniel, he found Nathaniel. Now, that word can mean just one of those two things. Either Philip was looking for Nathaniel on purpose, or Philip found Nathaniel by accident. And you know the fact of the matter, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. John doesn't give us the context of how he means that word found, this word, heurisco. All we know is he found him. And whichever one's true, it's awesome. Because either when Philip found Jesus, he's like, I got to tell Nathaniel. And he goes and finds him and he tells him about Jesus. Or Philip's walking through his hometown. Nathaniel's the first person he sees and he's like, this is my one. This is the one I'm supposed to tell about Jesus. And he tells Nathaniel about Jesus. Am I only one that thinks that's really cool? Like that one Greek word, heurisko, it can mean either one, but either one is awesome. <laughs> either one is amazing. Either he found him because he was looking for him or he recognized the opportunity when Nathaniel came and crossed his path. Nathaniel, Philip just wanted to tell Nathaniel about Jesus and Nathaniel just became his one or Nathaniel was his one that he was looking for. Philip had found this treasure, the Messiah. And so because he found a treasure, he had to do something about it. And again, we're talking about how do we respond after the gospel? What do we do after this life-changing event 
where we now are part of the family of God, what do we do? Philip has an amazing illustration. He went and found someone, and he told him about Jesus. But I want you to see it this way. Go to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. This is an amazing path. In fact, I'm going to encourage you to read it because Matthew chapter 13 is is nothing but parables. (laughs) Jesus tells a parable, and then his disciples ask him later, hey, what does that mean? He'll later explain it to them. And he tells another one, he tells another one. And all these parables have this very similar idea. In these parables, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about the gospel. And in one of the parables, he he refers to the gospel being seed that's thrown out. And the seed is thrown out. Some of it falls on on the wayside or on the path. Some of it falls in stony ground. Some of it falls in thorns. Some of it falls in good soil. And the seed that falls in good soil, it springs up and it produces a lot of fruit. We talked about producing fruit last week. And then Jesus explains that that parable means the seed is the gospel and, and, and it falls in different hearts as we give it out. But our responsibility is still to give out the gospel. And, and so then he talks about the gospel being like leaven or yeast that's added to dough. And that the woman takes the yeast and she adds it and then she works it in there. And then over time that yeast, that leaven takes over the whole lump of dough and how the gospel is just like that. But that the gospel has to be applied to the dough to, even, to the world to even make a difference. And then he talks about in this one parable that a, a, a farmer goes out and he sows good seeds of wheat. And overnight, the enemy, they have an enemy, an adversary that comes and sows seeds of weeds that looks like wheat until it's mature. And the the workers go to the boss and they say, hey, we can't believe this. Our enemy came and sowed all this bad seed among all of our good seed. Do you want us to go pull the weeds out? And the, the boss says, no, no, no. Otherwise, you'll damage the good wheat. Just wait. I'll sort it all out in the end. It's amazing parables. And then Jesus tells very, two very short parables in verse 44. Look what it says. It says, The kingdom of heaven, the gospel is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. And then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and he buys that field. And then he sells another parable just like that one. Again, the kingdom of heaven, the gospel is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And when he finds one priceless pearl... He went and sold everything he had, and he bought it. Two very short parables about two men who find treasure. And I love how one, 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 one parable about the man who finds the treasure in the field, he finds it by accident. And by the way, the same Greek word is used, herisko. He wasn't looking for it, but it, he found it. And then the other parable is about a merchant who is diligently seeking for a certain pearl, and when he finds it, He does something, and both of them do the same thing. Both of them sell all their earthly possessions because they found this treasure. And Jesus says that it's the gospel. One finds it because he just happens to be going along in life, and the gospel intersects his life. And the other one is seeking truth, and and he finds the gospel. And now I want you to understand something. These guys don't sell everything they have to obtain the gospel, they sell everything they have because of the gospel. Does that make sense? Because the gospel, they've already found it. It's already impacted their life. So this is not a you have to work for salvation. Be very careful in how we interpret that passage. But it's very telling that Jesus says there's two men and they both find the kingdom of heaven. They both find the gospel. And because of it, their response after that is they, they, everything in this world means nothing to them. And they change their whole life because of it. 
You guys see where we're going with that this morning? We're talking about how we respond after the gospel. Philip found Nathaniel. He went and found his one. These men both end up, because of the gospel, because of the kingdom of heaven, they, it changes who they are. It changes their priorities, and nothing in this world matters but that thing, but the gospel. I want you to get this this morning, church, so lean in. Don't miss this. Our response after the gospel should be just as powerful as our response to the gospel. Our response after salvation, after we give our life to Christ, you remember that moment where you, gave, you were born again and you gave your life to Jesus? How exciting that was to know that you're going to heaven? How exciting it was when you understood that Jesus died for you in your place? See, that's a great response to have. But our response after that needs to be just as strong as our response to that. Like we need to be just as excited about the gospel after it's changed us and changed our eternity as we are at the moment of salvation. We forget the power. We forget kneeling at the dust at the foot of the cross. We forget what mercy really means for us. And so we're going to look at what's our response after the gospel. It should be just as powerful as our response to the gospel. The gospel that Jesus died in our place, that we don't have to spend one moment in hell separated from God. The fact that not only that, I mean, if that was all Jesus gave us, get this, if that was all Jesus gave us was a home in heaven, we don't have to go to hell, that's awesome. But he loves us so much, that's not it. That's not the end of the story. Like we have joy now. We have purpose now. We have answers now. Like we don't have to be afraid of death anymore. That's why Paul says, look, the, the sting of death is gone. It's not there anymore. It's amazing, this gospel, that we have joy and a purpose and a savior, forgiveness and new life. It's very interesting that Jesus uses two very short parables to describe how two people responded to the gospel and what they were willing to do. That we should respond that way. That we should respond like Philip. A day after he followed Jesus and he couldn't wait to find someone. Whether that person intersected his path or he had somebody on his mind, he couldn't wait. But what if, what if the person we're trying to reach ask a hard question like Nathaniel? What, what, if, what if they ask a deep theological thing I don't know the answer to? What if, what if they make fun of me? What they, just Then we just say what Philip said, come and see. Don't take my word for it, just come check it out. Johnny Hunt, the former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, had a study that said 96% of people that will ever come to faith in Jesus will be people who are invited to come and see. 96% of people who give their life to Christ will give their life to Christ because they were invited to come and see. What that means is, yes, there's a very, very small percentage of people that will get saved or come to faith in Jesus because they just happen to open a Bible and they start reading and the Holy Spirit works on their heart as they're reading. We've heard stories of that happening. But the majority of people that come to faith in Jesus Christ come because somebody invited them to come and see. Think about it in your life. How many of you have a relationship with Jesus Christ today because somebody told you about Jesus? Because somebody invited you. For some of you, it might have been a parent or a grandparent. For some of you, it might have been a pastor or a neighbor. But 96% of people will give their life to Christ because somebody invites them. But here's the truth. A study from a few years ago found that 20% of believers, 20% of believers will invite another believer to church. 
one out of five believers will invite another believer to church. That looks like this. Somebody moves in your neighborhood and you're having a conversation. And they say, yeah, we just, we just moved from Gallup, New Mexico. And we went to a great Baptist church there. And we're just looking for a great Baptist church. One in five of us will invite that person to church. Here's what's sad to me. Where's the other four? That's like a softball, right? Like, knock that one out of the park. Hey, we're looking for a good church to come to. Hey, come check out ours, right? But only one in five of us will say something to them. You know, the scarier truth is this. Only two out of every 100, so 2% of believers, will ever invite an unsaved or unchurched person to church. 20% of us will invite somebody who already goes to church. Only 2% will actually invite an unsaved or unchurched person to church. That does not sound like the parable that Jesus just, Jesus just told of the people who found the amazing treasure of the kingdom of heaven. That statistic does not sound like Philip going the very next day and finding Nathaniel and couldn't wait to tell him to come and see. Philip found his one in Nathaniel. Paul found Lydia, Jason, the prison guard, the governor of Malta. Paul wanted to swing for the fences. He wanted to talk to Caesar himself about Jesus. Philip later on found an Ethiopian eunuch and we could just, just lay out just tons of people in the New Testament alone that found their one, that went and found somebody to share this amazing treasure with. See, sometimes we, see, we search out intentionally for a specific one, and other times we recognize little encounters or meetings as God-ordained one moments. That God will bring that one to you, whether you're searching for them or not. Now, it's great if we all have in our minds someone we know doesn't know Jesus, and we're like, this is my one. Like, I'm going to go talk to this person about Jesus, and we should all get that. But if you're here this morning, like, I don't, don't really have anybody coming to my mind right now. we got to stop and take a look around at our daily life and who we're interacting with every day, our neighbor, our coworker, the person at the grocery store, and start seeing those. Those are the moments where we have heurisco. We have found somebody we're not even looking for. We've found somebody that God brought into our path to share this amazing treasure with. They're God moments. And some of you might have heard this before, so bear with me, but not many people have ever heard of a man named Edward Kimball. A lot of people probably have. Edward Kimball was a Sunday school teacher who led a young man named Dwight Moody to Christ while he was at a shoe store. J. Wilbur Chapman came to know Jesus Christ because Dwight Moody led him to the Lord. J. Wilbur Chapman led a young man named Billy Sunday to the Lord. Who led a young man named Mordecai Ham to Jesus? Who led a young man named Billy Graham to a saving faith of Jesus Christ? But it all started with a Sunday school teacher at a shoe store who recognized a one moment, who had a heurisco moment. I found this young man. I have a moment with him. I'm going to talk to him about this amazing treasure. And because of that, we had this spiritual lineage it goes from one person to the next, to the next, to the next, till it gets to Billy Graham, who traveled the world and preached the gospel to millions and millions of people. Do you have any idea that the one you invite may meet Jesus who will change them forever, and then that one may just touch thousands? We have no idea. 
the vast majority of people in this room this morning came to know Jesus because somebody invited you to come and see. Because someone told their one, who told their one person, who told their one person, and on and on until you were somebody's one. And thank God for that moment. I don't know about you, but I'm excited that someone told my parents who told their parents who told their parents who told their parents about Jesus Christ because that's the only reason I'm here today. That's the only reason I'm a citizen of heaven today. That's the only reason I have eternal life today because someone told their one who told their one who told their one till it came to me. And how dare I and how dare you let the story stop with you and stop with me. How dare we be the generation that it stops with? We all have a one. We've got to start recognizing those Jerisco moments and telling someone about Jesus. You know, the truth of the matter is this. The most energetic and sold out evangelists, you know where they are today? They're in hell. The most sold out, the most passionate evangelists right now are those who are in hell. You're like, where were you getting that from? Jesus told us a story of a rich man who died and went to hell. And you know what his request was? Let me go back. Please, God, let me go back and tell my loved ones about this place so they don't have to come here. You and I are this side of eternity. Why don't we have the same passion? Why don't we have the same drive? Why don't we have that same urgency? That if those in hell who know the truth now, if they could come here, they would embarrass all of us with their soul winning. They would embarrass all of us with their ability to go talk to anybody and everybody about Jesus and about heaven and hell. Why don't we wake up and realize that now? I'm going to ask a question this morning that makes me uncomfortable because I hate asking it about myself. And so I know it's going to make you uncomfortable, but we're going to roll with it, okay? And I don't want you to answer out loud. This is a, just a personal thing. But can you name one person that has come to know Christ through your witness? Can you name one person who has, came, who has come to faith in Jesus Christ because of your witness? Yes, I know Jesus saves them. Jesus did all the work, but we're his mouthpiece. Can you name one? Can you name one person that you have at least invited or shared your faith with in the last year? So maybe nobody's ever come to faith in Jesus because of anything, because of your witness, but can you name just one person in the last year that you've invited to come to church or you've shared your testimony with? Just one? In the last 365 days, Philip waited a day. The men in the parable that Jesus talked about who sold everything, they found it, they sold it. Paul said the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what does it mean to be ashamed? It means to fear to do something or be reluctant because of embarrassment or humiliation. You know how many times in the New Testament we're told not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? How many times in the New Testament we are told not to be ashamed of the power of the gospel? How many times we're told not to be ashamed of our own testimony? Eight times. 
2 Corinthians 7, 14, 2 Corinthians 10, 8, Philippians 1, 20, 2 Timothy 1, 8, 1, 12, 1, 16, 2, 15, 1 Peter 4, 16 says, do not be ashamed, do not be reluctant, do not be hesitant to share the treasure that you have found. Do not wait, do not put it off, do not say, well, you know, it's not a big deal. It says, don't be ashamed. We'll talk about anything and everything but about the one Jesus Christ. We talk about sports, about politics, about weather, about our hobbies, about our kids, about our jobs, our houses, our grass, the, path, the price of gasoline, taxes, relationships, what's trending on Twitter, favorite shows to watch on Netflix and Hulu, funniest YouTube videos, who won the Super Bowl, World Series, Stanley Cup, Bowl Championship. But none of that will matter on the other side of eternity. The only thing that's going to matter is who you win and who I win. Keep talking about those other things. It's not bad. I'm not saying, hey, don't talk about stuff. Those are great ways to, to intersect and bring in the gospel conversation. But listen, for the love of our Savior Jesus and for the love of the gospel, for the love of our neighbors, let's talk about the one to our one. Does that make sense? If you're in John chapter 1 still, right there in the margin where it talks about Philip finding Nathaniel, write the words, the one to my one. Talk about our one, Jesus Christ, to our one who he brings into our lives. Talk about the one to my one. We've got to talk, we talk about everything else. Let's talk about the most amazing story of all time. Because those who accept Christ's identity and who he is will also embrace his mission, which is sharing Jesus with others. Because leading others to accept Jesus is the greatest expression that, we'll, that we really understand who he is. Come and see, come and die Go and tell. So this morning, real quick, number one, Philip was intentional. Philip was intentional. We saw that in verse 44 and 45. Whether Philip was searching for Nathaniel or just happened upon him, he was intentional about using that moment of encounter with Nathaniel. Don't waste the moment. Don't hesitate. Don't procrastinate. I, Philip could have easily said, well, I see Nathaniel every day. He's in my hometown. I'll catch him tomorrow. Like, I'm on my way to grab something to eat or my kids have a game today or whatever. But he stopped and he used that moment. We have to be intentional about these moments. So who is your one? Or in this moment where you find yourself, who's in front of you? If you don't know who your one is, who's in front of you? Who's in your sphere of influence? Make the most of that moment. Philip was intentional. Number two. Philip invited. Philip invited, verse 45. He just said, come and see. He didn't preach a sermon. He didn't get into a huge debate. He didn't show a video or read from a book. He kept it simple. I love that. Keep it simple, stupid, right? Some of you have heard that. If you're in the military, I heard it in the police academy. Save my life. I'm not Keep it simple. Don't overthink it. Keep it simple. Come and see. Hey, just come check it out. Come see for yourself. We're to take care of the come and see part. Jesus will take care of the come and die part. We just take care of the come and see. And we offer so many ways for it to be easy for us at Morningstar to invite people. We have invite cards in the lobby. You can't miss them. It says you're invited. It has our information about who we are as a church. We've got two big events coming up this fall. And we don't have events just because, hey, let's spend some money and have an event. We have events so people can come on our campus and interact with you and see you, and realize you're not weird, okay? Some of you maybe, but they realize you're not weird. And see the love we have for each other, 
And they'll come to a back-to-school bash, maybe long before they'll step foot into our service, but if they come to the back-to-school bash and they see something different about us, you never know. That kid you hand out a back-to-school bash invite to might just come to the back-to-school bash. And their parents might just come to church the next Sunday. And somebody might just get saved because you invited a little kid to come to a back-to-school bash. See how that works? We have these events to help make it easy for us to reach our community. We have a back-to-school bash. We have a fall block party. We give about a month rest in between, okay? But it's huge. We have social media. We have a website. We have a Facebook page. We have an Instagram account. And for those of you who are social media savvy, we don't have that just so we can say, hey, we're up to date. We have it so you can share that information. It's easy to click share. <laughs> one button, right? Right, Ann? One button. Share. We have podcasts. We talk about Jesus. We talk about the sermons. We have, there's all kinds of ways. We are trying to make it super easy for you to go find your one and invite them. And even on a large scale to get the word out. Philip was intentional. Philip invited. The third thing and last thing, Philip invested. He invested. Yes, it took his time. It took his boldness to step out. I mean, this was his hometown. Bethsaida, this is his hometown. What happens if Nathaniel rejects him? What happens if Philip says, hey, come check out the Messiah, and Nathaniel goes, hey, you hear what this crazy guy just said? That's his hometown. How embarrassing is that? That was an investment. That was, that was a risk that he took. But Philip invested in the life of Nathaniel. Later on, Philip would find that Ethiopian eunuch struggling to understand the Old Testament. And Philip spent his time and energy pouring into that man. At the end, that man gave his life to Jesus. Yes, sharing your faith is an investment. You know what I mean by saying investment? It's going to cost you something on the front end. A lot of you are saving for retirement. You know what you do to save for retirement? You invest money on the front end. You make sacrifices now for the payoff later, right? So at some point, the goal is you get to an age you can stop working and enjoy all the big investments you made. But you have to invest now, don't you? Well, Jesus says, lay up treasures in heaven. Sharing your faith, sharing your testimony, being intentional and inviting. It's an investment. It might cost you your energy. It might cost you your time. It might cost you your comfort. It might even cost you your security, and it might just cost you financially. But it's an investment we make now that we pay off, that pays off huge in eternity. Church, please look at me. What? We are not living for now. This life is just a vapor. One day we're going to stand before God, and I don't know about you, I don't want to stand there empty-handed. I don't want to stand there going, well, you know, I lived a good life and I went to church and I even read my Bible every now and then. No, 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 no. I have found a treasure in Jesus Christ and so have you. You think it's time we start living like it? We have the most amazing story and treasure of all time and it's an investment. It's going to cost us something. But we sow the seeds of the gospel, finding our one. It's an investment. But listen, it's also an investment that's a command. Matthew 28, Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples. It's not an option. It's not an option. And I'm going to say something really hard this morning right before we wrap up because I want you to understand the heart that it's coming from. If you're here this morning, as I say Jesus says in Matthew 28 to go into all the world and make disciples, and you're like, ah, I don't want to do that. Can I tell you this morning that more than likely you don't have a relationship with him. Because if we have a relationship with the Messiah, what the Messiah says, 
We do. It doesn't mean we don't fail at it. Trust me, I have, man, I have failed probably more times than I've ever done anything right. But my desire is to live for him. My desire is to obey him. And if you don't even have a desire to obey him, he's not living in you. So if you have a problem with the go and make disciples, you, it's not me you have a problem with. If you have a problem with the intentional and the invite and the investment, it's not me you have a problem with. It's Jesus. But he wants so much more for you and from you than just living your life like everybody else. What would Morningstar look like if we had a whole body of believers in here who said, you know what, I have found a treasure. And I'm going to have a heuristic moment that I have every day where I find someone, if I'm not looking for them, and I'm going to use that and be intentional with that. What would our church look like? What would your neighbors look like who don't have a relationship with him? What would their families look like who are struggling? What would, like the, what would the eternities look like of people you love? It's an investment, but it's also a command. So our challenge to everybody this morning, I'm going to give us three challenges. Number one is this. Everyone here this morning who is a disciple of Jesus is going to invite someone who's not church and not saved to either breakfast, lunch, or dinner at some point before the end of the year and just start a conversation. Find someone. Not Joe Bob who's been a deacon at this church for 40 years. No, no, no. Find someone who doesn't know Jesus and you invite them to breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Go take them to coffee. If like, I don't have a whole lot of money, fine. Go to Arby's. Go get a coffee. I don't care. But start a conversation. The second challenge is this. Every disciple, every follower of Christ in here this morning that's in our building, that's listening right now, invite one family in your neighborhood into your home before the end of the year and just start a relationship. Start a conversation. Start a relationship. Relationships are started really easy. Have them over and grill hot dogs. If you got money, do the lobster and steak thing, okay? But invite them over and start a relationship. And the third challenge is this. Everyone who's a disciple of Jesus this morning is going to invite one unchurched and unsaved person to our church before the end of the year. We're all going to invite one person who's not saved, who doesn't go to church, to our church before the end of the year. doesn't mean they're going to come. It's not our job to make them come. It's our job to just say, hey, come and see. Jesus takes care of the rest. But the challenge that we're laying on all of us, myself included, start a conversation, start a relationship, and start the invite. Church, let me have you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. What breaks my heart is there today is there's, there's so many places that they call themselves churches. They call themselves houses of worship. They don't challenge their people in the word of God. Because sometimes challenge doesn't feel good, does it? Sometimes it hurts to have things pointed out that, man, I'm not doing some things I probably need to be doing. But it's common sense. If we found a treasure and it was amazing and it's changed our life and our eternity, why would not we respond in a certain way? So how do we respond after the gospel? Church, how do you respond now that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? How are you responding? Are you and I living like Philip? We don't have all the answers, but we're just going to invite. Are we living like those two men that Jesus talked about that it was so important and so life-changing, they just couldn't wait to get rid of everything just so they could 
experience that. And listen, not because they wanted salvation. They weren't selling it for salvation. They were selling it on behalf of that. And I'm not saying this morning you need to go sell everything you own. What I'm saying is, are the things of this earth more important to you than sharing your faith? Are the things of this life, are the cares of this world more important to you than the treasure that's living inside you? Our response after the gospel needs to be just as powerful as our response to the gospel. And we don't have an option. Not even, yeah, Jesus said it, but what about those we know that if they don't find Jesus, if they don't give their life to him, they're going to spend eternity separated from him. Does that bother you? Then let's be intentional. And let's invite. And let's start investing now. Church, are you with me? Are you with me? Because we're better together. <laughs> if we do this together, it's a lot better. And I'm just inviting you to, enjoy, to join me this morning and be that church to take the challenge. And let's respond to the gospel now just as much as we did at the moment of salvation. In just a moment, we're gonna sing a, just a chorus of response, and here's what that means. I don't know how God's worked in your heart, but for some of you, listen, you need to come down here and get on your knees and ask God, God, help me make the most of those heuristic moments, of those found moments in my life, whether God has given you the name of somebody in your heart or you just happen among somebody this week. God, help me be intentional. Some of us as families, maybe you want to come down here and say, God, show us that family in our neighborhood that you want us to make relationship with. Show me that person at work you want me to start the conversation with. Show me that person that you want me to make that invite to. Let's start being intentional. Let's just, man, it ain't going to happen by chance. We're God's mouthpiece. We are the church. Let's respond to the gospel. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray. Maybe you come forward and kneel down here, down front. Maybe you kneel right where you're at in your chair. I don't know however God's worked in your life, but we're going to be intentional, and we're going to invite, and we're going to invest. Are you going to be a part of it? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for everything you've done for us. God, the salvation that you have freely offered to us, we couldn't work for it. We couldn't earn it. In fact, that's, I should have been nailed to the cross. God, I should be the one taking all the wrath of God for my sin, but you took it all. In that moment that I gave my life to you as a 13-year-old boy, I remember that excitement. I remember that relief. I remember that just being lifted off of my shoulders and the excitement of being called part of your family. God, today, now, I'm 40 years old. God, help that be just as exciting and moving and impactful in my life today as it was then. God, help me be more intentional. me seek out these heuristic moments and to use them for your glory and your honor. God, we give it all to you this morning. God, you've worked in the hearts of your people. I pray that you work in them even now as they respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me this morning and worship? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you have any questions about Morningstar Baptist Church or today's message, visit morningstardayton.org and choose Contact Us.